السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respects listeners, we continue with the commentary and study of with the study and the commentary of hadith number 3364 from Sahih al-Bukhari which is about the family of Ibrahim السلام, and their journey to Mecca, an eventual settlement there, and the history of the Kaaba and Zamzam, as well as some of the rites of Hajj and Umrah. A quick summary of what the Hadith has told us so far since this is the third lesson of the hadith Abdullah ibn Abbas is the narrator of this hadith and what we've learned is that the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, carried his young child Ismail السلام, a newborn along with his wife Hajar radiyallahu anha and took them away from the land of Qan'an where he was residing and left them by the command of Allah in the barren valley of Mecca wherein at that time there was not a single grass of a single blade of grass a single piece of vegetation or even a drop of water no animals no human beings nothing Hajar radiyallahu anha asked him by whose command he was leaving them in this state and he replied by Allah's command. He left them with only a bag of dates and a skin of water. Then he departed and turning around at the edge of the valley facing the direction of the Kaaba which didn't exist there at the time but in the direction of the Kaaba, he pr- turned and prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a very famous dua quoted in the Quran Rabbana inni askantu min dhurriyyati biwadin ghayri dhi zara'in inda baytika al-muharram Rabbana li yuqimu salat faj'al afidatum minan nas tahwi ilayhim warzuqhum min al-thamarat la'allahum yashkurun I've translated and commented on that verse in detail so I won't repeat myself 
and then he departed. After him, Ummuna Hajar anha, her water expired in the sheepskin as a result of which her milk also dried out. And searching for water for herself and her son Ismail السلام, who was actually rolling on the floor out of thirst, she desperately searched and frantically searched in different directions, even climbing the hill, the hillock of Safa and the hillock of Marwa. And since there was a dip in between the two, and she was unable to see Ismail السلام, she raced in that area. This action of hers was so beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he inaugurated it as a rite and a ritual of Hajj and Umrah to be performed till Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that's what the Prophet says, that that is the running of the people. Then, this is where we start. So we continue from here. So I begin the hadith again with the listener in Muttasil Minni Ilal Imam Bukhari, Rahimahullah, Kala Hadithani Abdullah ibn Muhammad, Kala Hadithana Abdul Razak, Kala Akhbarana Ma'amar, An Ayuba Sakhtiani, Wakathir ibn Kathir ibn Muttalib ibn Abi Wada'a, Yazidu Ahaduhuma Adal Akhar, An Sayyid ibn Jubair, An ibn Abbas, An Sayyid ibn Jubair, Kala ibn Abbas, Rodiyallahu An Huma. I relate with a continuous and uninterrupted chain from me till Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, who relates with this chain till Abdullah ibn Abbas, who relates a hadith. We continue from where we left off last week. He says, So when Hajr climbed upon Marwa, this is after the seventh run. So she ran, for, she climbed Safa first and then searched in all directions, scouted for water, then ran down and then rapidly ran in the dip in the valley between the two hillocks and then climbed Marwa, did the same, scanning the area for water and then she descended Again she ran and then climbed up the hillock of Safa. And she repeated this seven times. On the seventh ascent of the hillock of Marwa, because she began from Safa, this is what's being referred to here. So on the seventh run, So when she climbed upon Marwa, she heard a sound. فقالت, so she said, Sahin, which simply means shh. For the, for the students of Arabic and the ulama amongst you, in Arabic, these phonetic words, they are often mentioned with tanween and but can be pronounced with the tanween or can be pronounced with a sukun. So in, in various ahadith you have bakhin bakhin. So you can pronounce it bakh. Similarly, sahin here, it can be pronounced sah. So what these words are simply like wahin wahin, which means wah wah, bakhin bakhin, which means bakh bakh, or sahin sahin, this is simply shh, that's what it is. 
So she was saying it to herself. In fact, that's what the hadith says. فَقَالَتْ سَهِنْ تُرِيدُ نَفْسَهَا So she said, Sahin referring to herself. So it's not so much Sahin, it's shh, i.e. she bid herself to silence because she heard a sound, but it was unbelievable to her because there was nothing to be seen anywhere. And then when she heard that sound, she quickly fell silent and then further bidding herself to silence, she said to herself, shh, so that's the meaning of sahin. It just simply means shh. Referring to herself. Then she listened attentively. So she again heard the sound. So then she called out to whoever or whatever it was because she couldn't see anything. So she said, You have made me hear. Meaning, whoever you are, or whatever you are, I know you are there, and you've made your presence felt and known. قَدْ أَسْمَعْتُ You've made me hear. إِنْ كَانَ عِنْدَكَ If you have any aid. Now, this is Arabic. This is all it says. إِنْ كَانَ عِنْدَكَ غُوَاثِ If you have any aid. And then there's nothing else. That's where the sentence ends. So, it simply means, إِنْ كَانَ عِنْدَكَ غُوَاثٌ فَأَغِثْنِي That if you have any aid, then assist me. So, again, for the students of Arabic, the هَذَا شَرْطٌ وَجَزَاؤُهُ مَحْذُوفٌ So, she said that if you have any aid, then meaning assist me, come forth and aid me. So lo and behold, when she said that, there was, meaning there suddenly appeared, the angel by the place of Zamzam. Meaning at that time, again, there was no Kaaba, there was no well, there was no spring. There was nothing. But where Zimzim was to be, by the place of Zimzim, suddenly the angel appeared. So the angel rubbed the ground with his heel. One of the narrators of this particular hadith says, or with his wing. So obviously here there's the narrator is uncertain which of the two was said. Meaning with the heel or with the wing. But we learned from other narrations that it was actually with the heel. Because it's quite categorically stated in other narrations. I've mentioned this many times before that how can we rely on such hadith if we have narrators actually saying that it's either aqib or janah it's one or the other so if they if there is such doubt and if there is such variation then how can such reports be reliable well a couple of things to note here 
One, this is not the Qur'an. These are the Ahadith. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken it upon himself. That verily we have revealed the dhikr, the remembrance, the admonition, meaning the Qur'an. And verily, we are most assuredly its guardians. So the Qur'an is guarded and preserved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But apart from the Qur'an, the rest of revelation in a general manner is also preserved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and guarded in general. But the detailed preservation of the rest of revelation, apart from the actual words of the Qur'an, this is a responsibility assigned to the ummah itself. And the ummah, being humans, have made a very extensive and arduous, but ultimately a human effort and endeavor to preserve the revelation of hadith, because hadith is a revelation, ultimately, uh, a non-recited revelation apart from the Qur'an. So undoubtedly there will be some imperfections and flaws in some of the details, but in the history of mankind, there is nothing that matches the preservation of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Absolutely nothing. That's one point. Another point is the very fact that the narrators actually point out their doubts is proof of their diligence in reporting. If you compare it to someone speaking today, a friend or a colleague or someone else, if someone quotes to you and says that I was present, this is what I saw, this is what they said, now he may have said this word or he may have said that word, but it's just a doubt of one or two words in thousands of words or hundreds of words. Surely that tells you how diligent the individual is and how careful. On the other hand, you have people who just say anything and everything. And each time you speak to them, the story changes. So the ulama were very diligent, and they actually faithfully recorded and preserved in their books of hadith, in their narrations, any variation of a wording which they heard from their teachers. So also, one narrator may, may make a mistake, but then that is normally compensated for by the diligent and accurate reporting of other narrators of the very same hadith and same wording. So here, the narrator is unsure whether it's the heel or the wing, but we learn from other narrations that it was definitely the heel. So, So he rubbed the ground with his heel, the angel. Or, or the narrator said, with his wing. So this is a doubt, but as I've mentioned, other narrations make it categorical that it was with the heel. 
until the water appeared. فَجَعَلَتْ تُحَوِّضُ So Hajar radiallahu anha began enclosing the water. The meaning is the water of Zimzim gushed forth from the ground at the very spot where the angel rubbed his heel. The water gushed forth. And as it gushed forth, it began to spread in all directions, accumulating. But Hajar radiallahu anha, the mother of Ismail alayhi salam, in her desperation, she began encircling and enclosing the water for the fear of losing it. So, so she began making a hold, meaning encircling and enclosing the water. And she began doing this. So each narrator would then explain to the uh, students practically how Hajar would enclose and encircle the water. So, and she was doing this with her hands. Again, in Arabic, uh, interestingly, قَالَ يَقُولَ is used for both قَالَ يَقُولَ and فَعَلَ يَفْعَلَ وَجَعَلَ التَّغْرِفُ مِنَ الْمَاءِ فِي سِقَائِهَا And she began scooping the water, scooping up the water in her water skin. وَهُوَ يَفُورُ بَعْدَمَا تَغْرِفُ And as she was scooping up the water, the more she would scoop, the more, to, the, more the water would gush forth. وَهُوَ يَفُورُ And the water was gushing, after her scooping up the water. قال ابن عباس عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله عنهما says قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said يرحم الله أم إسماعيل as I said earlier on if you recall at the beginning Abdullah ibn Abbas never said that I heard the Prophet say or the Messenger related to us he just began the hadith which makes it appear as though these aren't the words of the Messenger himself. But as I mentioned then, one, he could have never related such details without having heard them from Rasulullah Secondly, during the course of the hadith, he, on a number of occasions, takes the name of the Prophet as here. So Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma says, قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, يَرْحَمُ اللَّهُ أُمَّ إِسْمَعِيلِ Allah, may Allah have mercy on the mother of Ismail. لَوْ تَرَكَتْ زَمْزَمْ أَوْ قَالَ لَوْ لَمْ تَغْرِفْ مِنَ الْمَاءِ If she had left Zamzam, as it was, or he said, if she had not scooped up the water, لَكَانَتْ زَمْزَمُ عَيْنًا مَعِينًا Zamzam would have been a flowing spring or a flowing river. What that means is because of the action of Hajar radiallahu anha of scooping up the water and trying to enclose it with her hands and arms if she had left Zamzam gushing forth as it was, then it would have continued to bubble, gush forth, and actually turn into a rivulet and then a river. So it would have been a flowing spring and river, rather than 
a well. But this was the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, Yirhamullahu umma Ismail. May Allah have mercy on the mother of Ismail. This was a favorite phrase of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he used to speak about the former messengers alayhi wasallam. Rahimallahu Musa, may Allah have mercy on Musa. Had he been a bit more patient, i.e. in his encounter with, of Khidr, or Khidr, alayhi salam, he would have, we would have learnt much more. In another hadith, may Allah have mercy on Yusuf. لو كنت مكانه لأجبت الداعي If I had been in his place, I would have responded to the messenger. This was a reference to when Yusuf was in prison. He had languished in prison on a false charge. And it was a very serious charge. If if we actually consider the charge for which Yusuf was cast into prison, simply because he did not succumb to the seduction, of the temptresses and simply because he refused to do their bidding and simply because he wished to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rather than disobey Allah regardless of the pressure as a result of which he was flung into prison innocently. So on what charge? The charge was actually attempted rape. That was the allegation made against him. And the everyone knew Everyone knew that he was innocent of the charge, yet still he was flung into prison. And then he languished there for many, many years. So he languished in prison for many years. Then, when the king saw the dream and he was told by his courtiers, the, the cupbearer, that summon Yusuf, for he's a pious man who will be able to interpret your dream. And the king sent for him. Yusuf alayhi salam, when he was called for, and the messenger came to tell him, look, the king is calling you. That would have been the golden opportunity for him to come out and win the favor of the king, interpret his dream for him, and have some hope of release. But the resolve and the determination and the sabr of Yusuf salam was such that he refused to come out of prison. And he said that I will, I will not come out until the king conducts an inquiry into my case, declares my innocence and interrogates the women who are responsible for leveling this false charge against me. So referring to that, the Prophet said, May Allah have mercy on Yusuf. If I mean Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Rasulullah had I been in his place, I would have responded to the call of the messenger. That shows how difficult a position Yusuf was, uh, was in. That even the Messenger of Allah وسلم, says, if I had been in his place, I would have responded to the call of the Messenger. So this was a favorite phrase of the Prophet وسلم, when referring to the former Messengers, um, the Prophet Yusuf, the, the Prophet Musa, السلام, 
And here he uses the same phrase, and may Allah have mercy on the mother of Ismail. Had she left Zamzam exactly as it was? Or, he said, if she had not scooped up the water, then Lakana Zamzam or Aynam Ma'ina, Zamzam would have become a flowing spring. Qal. He then said, Fasharibat. So she drank of Zamzam. And she suckled her son. So the angel said to her, Do not fear perishing. For verily here is the house of Allah. And we learn from other narrations that the angel said to her that do not fear perishing for this is the well of Zamzam which will water the guests of Allah. And then he added, Allah, for verily here is the house of Allah. Which will be built by this young lad and his father. And verily, Allah does not allow his people to perish. So the Prophet ﷺ explains that obviously there was no Kaaba there, there was no house there. But, And the house, meaning the place of the house of Allah, was raised from the rest of the ground, like a mound. Storms would come to it. And then the storms would take the path to the right or the left, but not go over the mound. All this sentence means is that the Prophet is explaining that there was no Kaaba that Jibreel said that the this young lad and his father will both build the house of Allah that will stand here. And the place of the Kaaba was a raised mound, which was elevated in comparison to the rest of the earth. And it was protected at that time, so that when storms would come, the water would actually pass around both sides and not go over the mound. Inshallah, what I will do, there's a lot to say about both the well of Zimzim, the water of Zimzim and the Kaaba and the history of both the well of Zimzim even after this and the virtues of the water of Zimzim as well as the virtues and the history of the Kaaba. But what I will do is maybe finish the Hadith and then right towards the end of the Hadith as part of the commentary I'll speak about the virtues and the history of Zimzim and the virtues and the history of the Kaaba. Or I may dedicate one or two sessions completely to this topic after the completion of the Hadith. But I'll defer discussion of both the history and the virtues of the Kaaba and the well of Zimzim till then. The Hadith continues. So she remained like this. Meaning, there was still no vegetation. So it appears that after the gushing forth of Zimzim, 
the mother of Ismail alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam, uh, the, uh, Ismail, the mother of Ismail alayhi salam, both mother and child, survived just on the water of Zamzam for a very long time. And there's no surprise about that at all. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith about Zamzam, that innaha tu'amu tu'am. And we learn from other narrations, that Zamzam is food for nourishment and a cure from diseases. And we also learn that the water is hadith, that the water of Zamzam is to fulfill whatever purpose it's drank for. So if someone drinks the water of Zamzam with a particular dua or intention, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards that person, hopefully, with that dua. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahmatullahi alayhi, was relating hadith, and he related this hadith, that ma'u zamzam lima that the water of zamzam is, is to fulfill the purpose for which it is drank. So one of the students stood up. We can, we can only appreciate this hadith if we appreciate hadith itself. In the earlier days, hadith was valued. Imam Mujahid rahmatullahi alayhi was a student of Abdullah ibn Abbas and Abdullah ibn Umar anhuma, and other Sahaba, but mainly of these two. And he once accompanied Abdullah ibn Umar anhuma, who was a prolific narrator of hadith all the way from Medina to Mecca and back. And that must have taken a whole month's journey. And he says in that whole period, I heard one hadith from him. One of the students visited Imam Awza'i rahmatullahi who was actually born in Beirut. Imam Awza'i rahimahullah was a great scholar of Shah. But he, he was born in Beirut. So someone visited him and stayed with him for a few days and he heard a few hadith from him. So the student complained to him that I've been with you for so many days and I've only heard a few hadith. He said, You've been with me for a few days, you've heard a few hadith, this many, and you still don't appreciate it. People used to say Abu Ayyub al-Ansari traveled all the way from Medina to Egypt, not to listen to a new hadith, but to verify a hadith which he had already heard and which he knew. That's what Imam Awza'i said to him. So people would appreciate the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It was like a lost gem. Hadith were treated as gems. Every hadith was a lost gem. And if someone discovered it, that was their prize. So Sufyan ibn Uyayna was relating the hadith of, he was relating hadith for a group of students, and he mentioned the hadith, that the water of Zamzam is to fulfill that purpose for which it is drank. So one of the students stood up and just suddenly left the building. 
And he went out, and after a while he came back. And he said, Imam, he said, what was that hadith that you just related? Did you just tell us that the water of Zimzim is to fulfill that purpose for which it is drank? So he said, yes. So he said, fine. I just went out and I drank Zimzim with the intention and the dua that you will relate 100 hadith to me. <laughs> so Sufyan ibn Uyayna said, sit down. And then he went and related 100 hadith to him. Don't try that with me. <laughs> In fact, if you want, you can. If you're dedicated enough, you can come and I'll relate a hundred, a hundred hadith to you. But you have to have that zeal and passion. Imam Sha'i, Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, he relates a hadith in his sahih. Where Imam Sha'bi, rahmatullahi, who's one of the narrators, he relates a hadith to one of his students. And then he says, just one hadith. And then after relating it, he says, there, take it, without any effort or trouble on your part. For indeed, people used to travel all the way from Mecca to Medina for something less than this. And that was reference to another Sahabi radiyallahu who wanted to learn about one mas'alah and hukm and one ruling. And he traveled all the way from Mecca to Medina to inquire of that ruling from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa there was a value to the words of the Messenger Every hadith was treated as a gem to be prized, to be cherished. So, the water of Zimzim is to fulfill that purpose for which it is drank. And indeed, the Prophet said that it is the food of nourishment, for nourishment. And in another narration, the additional wording is, and it's the cure for disease. And many people, in the Prophet ﷺ himself, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, would carry zimzum back in bottles from Makkah al-Mukarramah to Medina. And the Prophet ﷺ himself took zimzum, and he would use zimzum and give it to the sick. Have faith. Have trust in Allah and use Zamzam to drink, to pour on oneself. Sayyidina here, Hajar radiallahu anha, she for a whole for such a long time she survived just on Zamzam. And we learnt in the story of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu an, when I spoke about him a few months ago, that Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu an, when he first arrived in Makkah al-Mukarramah, he was actually a vagabond, a, a, a highway robber. His tribe, that's what they were experts in, they were dacoits. And the word dacoits comes from India, daku. As I've said before, we Indians are responsible for a lot. Daku, Dakoit, jungle, looting, all from India. Loot, lootna, Daku, jungle. All of these words have come into English from the Indian subcontinent. Dakoit, jungle, and looting. So he was a Dakoit. 
and he arrived in Makkah al-Mukarramah and he stayed there for a whole month surviving only on the water of Zamzam. In that heat, it didn't make any difference. Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet wasallam's uncle, he says that during the days of Jahiliyyah before Islam, we used to call Zamzam, one of the names of Zamzam was Shabba'ah. Shabba'ah means the great nourisher. That he would actually nourish and fill people and satiate them and free them from their hunger. And what the Quraysh used to do is that the families would bring their children each morning to the well of Zamzam in groups. And they would all drink as much Zamzam as possible first thing in the morning. He actually says the, the water of Zamzam was their sabuh. The meaning of sabuh is similar to sahur. Sahur, fatur. Sahur is what you have at Sahar and Fatur is what you have for iftar, meaning breakfast. So Sabuh is what you have first thing in the morning. So the water of Zamzam would be the breakfast of the families of Quraysh. And they say we would make our children drink the water of Zamzam in order to nourish them and give them strength. So that's what the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum grew up on. The elderly Sahaba. So Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib says we used to call Zimzim Shabba'a, the great nourisher and satiate. So, فَكَانَتْ كَذَلِكَ So Hajar radiyallahu anha remained like this, i.e. in that state, just surviving on Zimzim. حَتَّى مَرَّتْ بِهِمْ رُفْقَةٌ مِّنْ جُرْهُمْ and there was just her there was just her and her child. Until a group passed by them of Jurhum. Jurhum was a tribe from Yemen. And they had moved northwards from Yemen. And they were travelling in that area as nomads, but moving slowly. But they came across that area, across the valley of Mecca. But first of all, at a distance. They hadn't arrived in the valley. They were still at a distance, but they were close by. So the, narrate, so the wording is, Until a group from Jurhum passed by them. Or a household of Jurhum. Coming forth from the path of Qada, which is uh, in the upper part of Mecca. So they descended and camped in the lower part of Mecca, but again, away from the central valley. So they saw a circling bird, a hovering bird. So they said, Verily, this bird is circling around water, over water. لَعَهْدُنَا بِهَذَا الْوَادِي وَمَا فِيهِمَا Verily, our knowledge of this valley is such that there is no water therein. فَأَرْسَلُوا جَرِيًّا أَوْ جَرِيًّا So they sent one or two scouts. فَإِذَا هُمْ بِالْمَاءِ So the scouts suddenly discovered water, the water of Zamzam. فَرَجَعُوا So they returned. 
فأخبروهم بالماء and they informed the rest of the tribe of the water of Zimzim. فأقبلوا. So they all came forth. قال, he says, وأم إسماعيل عند الماء. And the mother of Ismail السلام, was by the water of Zimzim. فقالوا, so they said, أتأذنين لنا أن ننزل عندك. Do you grant us permission to settle and dismount by? فقالت نعم. So she said yes. ولكن لا حق لكم في الماء. But you have no right over the water. قالوا نعم. They said yes. They accepted that. So قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما. عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله عنهما says. قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said. فَأَلْفَى ذَلِكَ أُمَّ إِسْمَعِيلِ So this found the mother of Ismail alayhi salam وَهِيَ تُحِبُّ الْإِنسِ while she was desiring sorry وَهِيَ تُحِبُّ الْإِنسِ while she was desiring company. What this means is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said she had been alone with her child for so long. Then when this tribe passed, and they then approached her, their scouts having discovered water after seeing the bird in the air, and then they requested from her to be allowed to settle around the water, and she accepted on the condition that they would have no water. Despite being a single woman with her child, she didn't feel threatened by this tribe. Rather, the Prophet says this whole episode was actually to her liking because she was alone and she was desiring company. And remember, they were, they, they were, they were families. So they settled around her. And they sent word to the rest of their families. So they also settled with them. حَتَّى إِذَا كَانَ بِهَا أَهْلُ أَبْيَاتٍ مِّنْهُمْ Until, when there, when, until when, there, when, they, when there were a few households of them there, meaning a whole community had developed, it had turned into a settlement. وَشَبَّ الْغُلَامُ And the young lad became a young man. And the child became a young man. وَتَعَلَّمَ الْعَرَبِيَّةَ مِنْهُمْ And he learnt Arabic from them. وَتَعَلَّمَ الْعَرَبِيَّةَ مِنْهُمْ And he learned Arabic from them. There's another hadith, again, related by Abdullah ibn Abbas recorded by Imam Hakim in his al-Mustadrak, that suggests that the first person to speak Arabic was Ismail salam. So according to one narration, the first person to actually speak Arabic was Ismail salam. And here it suggests that that he learned Arabic from them. So, what's the truth? What's accurate? But then that's actually clarified in another narration that the one who spoke, the first person to speak Arabic masterfully and expertly and most eloquently was Ismail. So he actually learned Arabic from Jurhum, from the tribe of Jurhum. But then he 
enhanced it and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed Arabic to flow on his tongue with the greatest of eloquence. So that's the truth. He actually learned Arabic from the tribe of Jurhum. Arabic is a truly unique language and so much can be said about it. Even if one doesn't regard the religious aspect of Arabic just as a language, truly remarkable. The precision, the mathematical precision of Arabic, the forms of the words, the balance, the rhythm. It's very difficult to believe that Bedouin in the desert produce this language. It's so mathematical, it's so accurate, it's so precise. And it's so varied. They have so many different names for everything. You take any word, and in all of its stages, it has different names in the Arabic language. Different stages. And recently I read, uh, recently meaning a good few months ago, that according to some research, it's been discovered that Arabic has the widest and most varied vocabulary in the world, even now. The most varied vocabulary. Even though ultimately Arabic relies on three letters, and it has no vowels in writing. So it relies on triliteral roots. And at the most, quadriliteral roots. Rarely five literal roots. And one of the reasons is, uh, this may sound a bit ironic, especially to the students of Arabic, that the Arabs didn't prefer thiqal, they preferred khifa. So the Arabs preferred lightness and ease. They didn't like difficulty or burdensome weight in their words. And that's a bit difficult to comprehend for non-Arabic, well, for everyone else, that Arabic is so difficult and so complex and so complicated, and you're telling us that the Arabs didn't like complexity, they didn't like weightiness in the words, they didn't like density, they actually preferred lightness and simplicity and ease, even though Arabic is very, very difficult. Anyone who tells you otherwise is not conveying the whole truth to you. That's a fact. Allah says, verily, we have made the Qur'an easy to understand, easy to remember. So is there anyone to remember or to take heed? Dhikr can mean both remembrance and admonition. So the Qur'an is easy to learn. And that's the miracle of the Qur'an. Non-Arabs can memorize the entire Qur'an. And even new students and new Muslims, reverts, can begin memorizing surahs of the Qur'an in no time. That's a miracle of the Qur'an itself. So Allah has said we've made the Qur'an easy, not Arabic easy. Arabic is difficult. It truly is. So, وَتَعَلَّمَ الْعَرَبِيَّةَ مِنْهُمْ 
Ismail learned Arabic from them. And he endeared himself to them. See, again, the very next word after and he learned Arabic from them. And then in a single word, a single word you have to translate and explain in that manner. And he endeared himself to them. And in Arabic, a single word provides that meaning. Infas, anfas. And he endeared himself to them. And he pleased them. When he became a youth. Then when he reached, when we mean by youth is when he grew slightly older. Then when he became a youth, i.e. he reached puberty and beyond, they married him to a woman from amongst them, from the tribe of Jurhum. And the mother of Ismail passed away. They say that she was 90 years old when she passed away. So Ibrahim came after Ismail married. Inquiring of his legacy. What's remarkable? is that Ibrahim السلام, delivered his family to the valley of Mecca only when Allah told him. And he was commanded by Allah not to stay with them. So he returned. And although it's not mentioned here in this narration, he did return in between. Why? He returned not to play with his child, but he returned to slaughter his child. By the command of Allah. And that's the whole story behind Eid al-Adha. Then he returned. And he would only go back when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would tell him to. He didn't go back. To our knowledge, he did not go back to marry his son. Or be present in his wedding. And I'll say more about this in a moment. So Ibrahim came after Ismail married. Making inquiries about his legacy. So he did not find Ismail. So he asked his wife about him. So she said, He's gone out to hunt for us. Yabdaghilina meaning to search for food for us, and he was a hunter. Ismail alayhi salam. He went out hunting for us. So Ibrahim alayhi salam asked her, his wife, meaning his son's wife, his daughter in law, about their life, and their condition. So she said, 
نحن بشر We are in great difficulty نحن في ضيق We are in straits A straightened condition وشدة And in severity فشكت إليه She then complained to him قال He said فإذا جاء زوجك When your husband arrives فقرئي عليه السلام Then convey my greetings to him وقولي له And say to him يغير عتبة بابه That he should change the doorstep of his house فلما جاء إسماعيل Then when Ismail السلام, arrived كأنه آنس شيئا It was as though he felt something And in one narration the wording is He smelt the fragrance of his father فقال, so he said, هل جاءكم من أحد? Did anyone come to you? قالت, نعم. She said, yes. جاءنا شيخ كذا وكذا. An old man came to us like this, like that, and she described him, such and such. فسألنا عنك. So he asked us about you. فأخبرته. So I told him. وسألني كيف عيش, كيف عيشنا? And he asked me, how was our life, our livelihood, our living? So I informed him, I told him that we are in great uh, struggle and severity. So he said, Did he instruct you to do anything? She said, yes, he did. He commanded me to convey his greetings to you. And he said, غير عتبة بابك that change the threshold, the doorstep of your house, the step of your house. قال إسماعيل عليه السلام said ذاكي أبي ذاكي أبي this was my father. وقد أمرني أن أفارقك and he has commanded me to separate from you. الحقي بأهلك go back to your family. فطلقها so he divorced her. وتزوج منهم أخرى and he married another of them, meaning of the same tribe of Jurum. I'll explain more about this next week because then there's another encounter with the new wife of Ismail alayhi salam. So comparing the two, I'll explain more about this next week, inshallah. But indeed, okay. A few questions, some which I will answer today, some which I will leave till next week. That Ibrahim alayhi salam, he was a man of great sagacity and wisdom, of farsightedness. And he knew that this lady was unsuitable for his son. For he was a messenger of Allah and his son was a messenger. And his son had a great future ahead of him and a great responsibility. He was to be a leader of his people and a conveyor of the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one has to be mentally, emotionally prepared for all of that. And he has to have that support. 
And those who wish to remain in his company must be able to appreciate him. That's exactly what happened with the Prophet The wives of the Messenger they had their disagreements with him. Disagreements are a fact of life, especially in marriage. Conflict is a fact of marriage. And even the Anbiya, the messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they did not escape the trials of the household and of marriage. It's related that once Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it was Isha time and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was at home. So the women of the household began arguing and quarreling amongst themselves. So much so that they even began picking up the dust and the dirt from the ground and flinging it at each other. So the Prophet was greatly grieved to see this. But Abu Bakr as-Siddiq took him by the hand and said, Leave them to it, Ya Rasulullah, and let's go. And he took him out of the house to Isha Salah. And there are other stories about as well. In fact, one of Maymuna radiallahu anha, I believe, who the Prophet sallallahu went out to relieve himself at night. And when he came back, he found the door shut. And he was actually shut by the wife. And she began interrogating him as to where he had gone. So once he reassured her that he had only gone out to relieve himself, to answer the call of nature, and that he hadn't gone elsewhere, then she opened the door. And there were countless other stories with the wives of the Prophet And as I mentioned earlier on, uh, in the very first week of the discussion, that Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says that when ghira, or it can be pronounced ghira, when ghira, when jealousy seizes a woman, these are the words of Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, when jealousy seizes a woman, she is unable to see the upper part of the valley from the bottom, from the lower part, which means that it's like the whole valley is spinning. She can't see whether, whether it's the sky or the, or the ground. So, there were differences, but this should not lead us to detract in any way from the status and the position of the wives of the Prophet <coughs> They are our mothers, and they were the wives of the Prophet And when it came to the test, they passed the test with flying colors. And so they had disagreements, they had difficulties in married life, and there was a time when the Prophet became so exasperated by all of them. Once, 
he even secluded himself and wanted to divorce all of them in one go. And one of the reasons was that they kept on pressuring him for more maintenance, for increased maintenance. And it was something which he couldn't meet. Because any wealth that came to him, he distributed in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he wished to live a life of simplicity and privations. And he wished his family to follow suit. And they did. But they, when they saw that riches were now flowing into Medina and their condition as a community was improving, they wanted a share of that being the family of the Prophet And when things became, came to a head, he decided to seclude himself and wanted to divorce all of them. And he was... Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab visited him. And the other, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu was there, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And everyone was sitting silent. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was silent, grief and concern visible on his face. So Umar radiyallahu anhu wished to cheer him up. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, here they are asking me for increased maintenance when I am unable to meet their demands. He said it with great grief. So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an wishing to cheer him up, and Sayyidina Umar being Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an, he said, Ya Rasulullah, what do you think if my wife demanded more maintenance of me? How would it look if I went and wrung her neck? <laughs> so the Prophet managed a smile. So there came such a time. When he wished to, when he secluded himself and wished to divorce all of his wives. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse of the Holy Quran in Surah Al Ahzab. And that's known as the verses of Khiyar, of the ultimatum. He delivered an ultimatum. And the ultimatum was Ya ayyuhan nabiyu qul li azwajika in kuntunna turidna l-hayata dunya wa zinataha fata'alayna umatti'kunna wa usarrihkunna sarahan jameela wa in kuntunna turidna allaha wa rasoolahu wa addara al-akhira fa'inna allaha a'addri al-muhsinati min kunna ajran azeema that O Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say unto your wives that if you seek the worldly life and its beauty then come, we shall give you wealth, but then we shall release you in a good way. But if you seek Allah and his messenger وسلم, and the abode of the afterlife, then know that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for those who do good amongst you an immense reward. So these were the verses of ultimatum. The Prophet asked all of the wives what they wished to do. He recited the verse to them and said to them, what do you want? You have to make a choice. And what was the choice? The choice was that the Prophet of Allah is a messenger. He does not live like a king. He is no emperor. He is no king. He is no ruler of the world. He is the chosen messenger of Allah. His life will be a life of privation, of test, of trials, of struggle, of charity. Those who wish to remain with him, his companions and even his household, they must follow in his footsteps. They must be like him. 
They must be of the same spirit. They are under no obligation. They don't have to. So they would not be condemned if they felt that they could not do this. If they felt they could not pay the price, then that's fine. They would be released in a good way without any condemnation whatsoever. And they would be free to go. But if they want the privilege of being the wives of the Prophet ﷺ and members of the holy household, then there was a price to pay. There was a commensurate responsibility and pride. There was a price and responsibility commensurate to the privilege. And they had to be prepared that it would be a life of charity and donations. So the Prophet ﷺ asked Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, and she said, he even said to her, go and consult your parents. She said, do I need to consult my parents about this? Nay, I choose Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Then she said, ya Rasul, he said, then I'm going to ask the others. So wanting him to herself, she said, ya Rasulullah, don't tell anyone else what my answer was. Hoping that all of the others would give a different reply. The Prophet ﷺ asked all of them, and without exception, every one of them responded in the same voice that we choose Allah and His Messenger. And that's how they lived their lives. Even Umm Mu'mineen Aisha anha, once Muawiyah gave her a gift of 100,000 dirhams. That's almost equivalent to 200,000 pounds sterling. She received the sack of money in the morning coins. She was fasting on that day. By evening, before iftar, her maid had distributed all 100,000 dirhams. Until there was nothing left. That same day she did her iftar with bread and oil. So much so that the maid even said to her, that, oh mother of the believers, if only you had instructed me to, we could have left at least some wealth to buy some meat for your iftar. That was Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. So the privilege of belonging to the household of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a unique one. For they are his wives in this world and in the akhirah in Jannah. They are the mothers of the entire ummah. So Ibrahim alayhi salam, when he visited his son, and he asked the wife, how are things? And she complained. We are in great difficulty. We are in straitened circumstances. We are in dire straits. We are in great difficulty and severity. Subhanallah. Ibrahim alayhi salam in an instant determined that this lady is not suitable for the prophetic household. And he said, tell him to change the doorstep of his house. And Ibrahim did that. I've mentioned this before, that, so what about today, if someone's father, this happens a lot, parents say to the son, divorce your wife. The father says to the son, divorce your wife. And they often quote Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. 
So, Umar ibn al-Khattab, Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah married a woman. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhumah said to him, divorce her. Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah was very reluctant. Why should he divorce a wife? Just because Umar radiyallahu anhumah said to him, he was very reluctant. I mean, he was, he was in great conflicts, internal conflict. Like, what should I do? Should I divorce my wife? Should I... Not divorce her, my father is telling me. So then he went to the Prophet. So the Prophet told him that your father is telling you to divorce her, divorce her. So he divorced her. So in essence, the Pro- he divorced her because the Prophet told him to, not so much that Umar ibn Khattab told him to. And the Prophet supported Umar ibn Khattab in what he said because of the far-sightedness and the wisdom of Umar ibn Khattab. He was a great judge of men. And Umar was Umar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would guide the truth upon the tongue of Umar. And the Prophet ﷺ even corrected himself, like on the occasion of the Battle of Badr. Abu Bakr gave an opinion, Umar gave an alternative opinion. The Prophet ﷺ inclined to the opinion of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and the revelation of the Holy Qur'an, vindicated Umar ibn al-Khattab and in a very subtle manner, chided the Prophet So that was the wisdom of Umar ibn al-Khattab And he, we learn that there are at least 21 occasions, according some narrations 23, where Umar ibn al-Khattab agreed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In that, Umar ibn al-Khattab gave an opinion, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala vindicated him and ratified that opinion with revelation. So he was far-sighted. So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu was telling his son to divorce his wife, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa agreed. So that was the messenger of Allah and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu both sallallahu alayhi wa sallam anhu, both telling Abdullah ibn Umar. So that's why he did it. This in no way is proof that just because a father says that one should divorce his wife, he has to divorce his wife. I, I'm, I'm explaining this because I've dealt with these cases where the parents become unhappy with the daughter-in-law and they say, Ibrahim salam told his son to change his doorstep. You change your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> or Umar ibn al-Khattab told Ibn Umar and he divorced his wife. If the father is of the caliber of Umar ibn al-Khattab, then that's different. Otherwise, it's under no obligation to do so. Of course, this doesn't mean that one has to take everything into consideration. In Islam, marriage means much more. It's not just about him and her. Us two, and that's it. Perfect family. In the Indian subcontinent, they 
when they were promoting and advocating smaller families. There used to be this campaign which used to say, Hamdo Tumdo, us two, you two, meaning one girl, one boy, father and mother, perfect family. So marriage in Islam means much more than just him and her and us two. There are so many considerations. Family, future, children, old age. Marriage isn't the romantic ideal as promoted by Hollywood and especially by Bollywood. (laughs) Marriage In fact, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an himself, he made an announcement once. A woman told the husband, I don't love you. The man went to complain. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an actually made an announcement. He said, oh people, very few of these marriages are entirely based on love. There are ahsab at stake. Ahsab meaning lineages at stake. And their marriage is about the fulfillment of responsibility and duties towards each other. So I'm paraphrasing what he said. Part of his sermon was, if there is love, there is love. But if not, then let people keep their feelings to themselves and honour one another in marriage and fulfil their duties and responsibilities towards each other. So, going back to what I was saying, we, of course, parents should not be randomly or merely on small minor incidents telling their children to divorce each other the son to divorce the wife or the wife to divorce the husband, just because of their own indignation and their own dislike. But at the same time, sons and daughters need to be mindful of their own families. One can't marry one individual and divorce their whole family. Such a person will end up being divorced themselves. Then where will they go? They've ended up divorcing their parents and their siblings and their own family. And then they lost the very thing for which they divorced their own families. One has to take everything into consideration. One has to fulfill the rights of one's parents, the rights of one's family, one's siblings, and the rights of one another. And this may be a harsh statement, but wives and husbands come and go. You only have one set of parents who are irreplaceable. A mother is irreplaceable. A father is irreplaceable. Partners, spouses, husbands and wives come and go. Families. And in Islam, the truth is, families have a right over us. Our relatives have a right over us. 
So one has, especially in marriage, one has to take everything into consideration. And what this hadith also shows about Ibrahim السلام, and Ismail السلام, is that Ibrahim السلام, in just a few words judged that this will not be a good household wherein there is moaning and complaining and ingratitude. We need to learn to be grateful for what we have rather than constantly coveting and eyeing what we don't have. That is torture. To torture oneself, always grasping or trying to grasp what's beyond our reach and letting drop. In our attempt to grasp what is beyond our reach, we actually drop what we have. Like the dog with two rotis. Well, the dog with one roti. We all know the story of the dog looking at this reflection with a roti in its mouth. And you may think a dog roti. Yeah, of course. My neighbor, kind lady, she had a very large dog. Forget roti and forget canned food. She used to feed him parate, her parate every day. Every morning parate for the dogs. So the famous story about the, about the dog with a roti in its mouth and it sees its reflection. It's like, oh, another dog with another roti. So if I grab that, I'll have two rotis. And in the process... We may laugh at you know, he lost the roti he had. We may laugh at that dog, but we, that's what we do all the time. We are ungrateful and unappreciative of what we have. And in our desire to grasp what's beyond our reach, we drop what we actually have. We learn, لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ وَلَإِن كَفَرْتُمْ إِنَّ عَذَابِي لَشَدِيدٌ If you are grateful, I shall give you more. And if you are ungrateful, then verily my punishment is severe. Why is there such a harsh warning about a severe punishment for ingratitude? Surely ingratitude is a small thing, but not if you look at the ultimate consequence. Ingratitude builds up. And it builds up until one becomes frustrated with Allah, until one becomes disillusioned with Allah, until one becomes angry with Allah until one blasphemes against Allah because we don't get what we want. Those who are grateful, those who are, live in a very contented manner, they live lightly. I'll say more about this next week, inshallah, and I'll also speak more about the comparison between the two households when Ibrahim visits his son again. And I said earlier on that I'll say more about this in a moment. Subhanallah, Ibrahim came not to marry his son, but to divorce his son. He did not come to marry his son. He wasn't there in the marriage. When he did come, he came to divorce his son. Why? Because there's more to life. There's more to the akhirah. There's more to one's future than what we see. And Ibrahim alayhi salam being a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
He was able to see that. But he came by the command of Allah. He would only come by the command of Allah. He came not to marry his son, rather he came to divorce his son. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions For additional lectures and products please visit www.akstore.com We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven or by email via sales at akstore.com produced under license by Alcotha Productions all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author any unauthorized distribution broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright